everybody welcome to the 219th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage um doing a really shitty job of being an engineer i i, I just bought a new computer which is dope i've developed a lot of content using a really old macbook pro so i wanted to upgrade my setup upgrade sound quality upgrade you know, the podcast, make it easier for myself. Well, this is the first time I've ever used it. This is the first day I took it out of the box. And maybe I should have spent some more time setting it up because Dustin was really frustrated because his mic wasn't picking up and it turned out to be my fault. So I just got to prove that I'm worth it now. So uh, get ready for a, a good hustle sage today. Uh, no, you, you're you're good, my dude. Um, you're you're consistent as hell, best in the biz. I, I just thought my mic was on the fritz. Uh, thankfully, I think. I mean, I'm over here like rage yelling, and you can't hear a damn thing I'm saying. Um, I, I'm checking my my headphones. I, I'm checking my mic. I'm updating Zoom. I'm you know making sure of all the updates. And then I finally do like the test microphone and sound on Zoom, and it's like I'm hearing my voice. This is on you, isn't it? And I just gave you that look, and I was like, "Ah, oh, you, you, like you, you fucked up, bro." It's a new computer. I mean, I drove five hours today. I didn't really have time to check everything. You know, it, it is what it is. I, I fucked up, <laughs> but it was funny to see how mad you got, because, bro, you were like shaking your mic like it did something wrong to you and in reality it was just my not reading directions well (laughs) it's all right you had an opening night moment like the blazers did uh it's been a a pretty roller coaster uh opening week for our trailblazer sage you know we were going to record yesterday and actually preview this lakers game uh wi-fi uh connectivity delayed that until uh, after the the lakers game but you know we're going to discuss what happened over the first three games of the season, trade rumors, rotations, uh, projecting this next continued uh, California road trip for the, for the Blazers as we close out 2020 and head into 2021. But let, let's talk about the, the first three games, Sage. Our Blazers are, are two and one. Um, one incredibly frustrating performance on opening night, losing by 20, 120 to 100 to the Utah Jazz. It was Portland's worst opening night loss at home since their second year in franchise history where they lost by, I believe, 33 points. Um, So that's never good, especially a team that used to be automatic on home openers. They followed that up with an overtime victory, uh, 128-126 against the shorthanded Houston Rockets on Saturday. And then we just got done watching arguably uh, the best regular season win that we've seen in quite some time going down to Staples Center in Los Angeles, defeating the defending champs 115-107. Sage, this was a game they had all their guns playing. Uh, they weren't resting anybody. LeBron AD looked like they were in, in you know regular season form. And our, our boys, after a, a slow start, took it to the champs and started to show signs 
of the team that we can be, the mm. team that we thought we would be uh, on paper uh, in those November signings. And it really started to look like we're seeing improvements on the perimeter. Uh, the, the defense has been more active. The communication has been there. They've been more connected. They're taking better shots on offense. And our superstars are carrying us as they should. So all in all, you take two and one. I mean, you don't necessarily think you're going to lose to the Utah Jazz, but you probably don't think you're going to beat the Lakers either. So, you know, I think you're happy if you're Portland uh, sitting at two and one uh, through the opening week of the season. One thing that I was very interested in, especially in that first game, I thought that the Blazers had a very difficult time finding even decent shots and we hoisted up a lot of bad ones. So I did the thing that no other Blazer fan wanted to do. And I got some clips of every Damian Lillard shot from that Utah jazz game. And all of it was a really highly contested shot in game three and game two. We did a better job of getting Dame a little bit of easier shots and I mean, you, you know, you, you're, you're comparing Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley in the perimeter and Rudy Gobert, you know, being the 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 big versus, you know, who, Christian Wood's never been a defender or uh, Daniel House isn't really that great. But you, you see each team putting a really concerted effort on Dame and you're seeing, you know, people like CJ and Gary Trent in this last game step up and make some really clutch shots. So we're going to see a lot of loading up on Dame and him making the right pass to get it to the players for them to have a pretty open shot. But what I've seen in these first three games is they're getting out to our shooters after Dame breaks down the defense. This a lot of teams are dialing in on what we're trying to do. Nurk has, it needs to take a little bit more responsibility as a playmaker, especially you saw it tonight with him throwing lobs and passes to a cutting DJJ. So it's been an interesting uh, week, and I, I'm really glad that it's two and one, not one and two. Or zero oh and three. Uh, but yeah, if before, we wanted to be real. Yeah, before we, we talk Houston, I, I do want to talk about that Utah game. And you look at the formula, the, the recipe for a 20-point home opener loss it's a little bit of a kudos to Quinn Snyder and the Utah Jazz for defending Dame as it were the playoffs. They blitzed him hard. They did not let him get any looks early. And you factor in a passive Dame who came out not looking uh, to score early, wanted to set others up. That's not how this, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. That is not how the Blazers are going to have success early on in the season. Um, as we continue to move on and become more cohesive and connected and get that continuity together, we're going to really need Dame and CJ, as they did in Houston the following night, combining for 76 points, to be the aggressors, to take the, the lion's share of the shots, to really put the team on their back and carry us to victories as we start to see more flashes of what the offense can look like, you know, we, we, you talked about Nurk being a decision maker. I really liked what I saw in that fourth quarter. There was three or four possessions in a row where he was essentially the Draymond green in, mm. in the offense. He got the ball, basically foul line extended, maybe a couple feet back. And he was just carving up that Houston defense. You saw it again tonight against the Lakers. Uh, Derek Jones jr. Is getting more comfortable in his movements without the ball. Nurkic is really, uh, anticipating a lot of those movements some of those mm -hmm. passes you don't even see him djj in the frame until the last minute and i think you're going to start to see that 
chemistry start to build up. But until that, until we get to a, you know, a comfortable level of chemistry, we're really going to need to lean on Damon CJ to be just aggressive. And I think that's just how it has to be. We're not going to win many nights early on in the season. If Dame's going to look to be a facilitator, we need him to be an aggressor, the scoring point guard that he is. That's when he is most lethal. That's what draws most, um, eyes and attention from the defense and we're starting to see the Blazers swing the ball and make teams beat us for sending two players at Dame because you have an advantage but in years past the Blazers have just been content standing around that arc and not really moving or making the defense pay for doubling Dame I think the addition of Derek Jones has really allowed a lot of ball movement player movement something we have just been championing for I mean we have just been just yelling for this. Like this is what we have wanted to see. And it adds a nice element to the blazer offense. And I I think we're going to see some kinks. We're going to see some bugs, but when you have a top five player in Dame, you have a borderline all-star and CJ McCollum, both are certified bucket getters. You hope that they can keep us afloat as we start to just get more familiar with one another. Mm. So you brought up DJJ and something I saw when I, when I was watching this game in particular he was moving without the ball and crashing and being really an opportunistic scorer. Like he doesn't need his dribbles to score. He can do it by just hustling and being athletic. And then I thought we used to complain about Mo Harkless standing in the corner. And I think that Terry Stotts has finally allowed DJJ to be that athletic high motor guy. And it got me thinking that what would it be if, he had let Mo Harkless do the same things that DJJ is doing. Of course, he doesn't have the bounce, but athletic could jump high, has a high motor in the paint. Like it, it just got me thinking of what would have happened if Stotts allowed this type of opportunistic scoring to ha- to happen. Well, I think you could throw Nicholas Batum in, in that conversation as well. I don't think the onus falls entirely on Terry Stotts. Mo Harkless is content just sitting in there and, and shooting the threes. He, he hasn't really done anything since leaving Portland. And to be fair, Nicholas Batum hasn't done anything since leaving Portland either. I think both players, when you look at some players in the league and there are some players you have to turn them down, be like reel them in with their energy and the other place you have to coach up and get them hyped up. Harkless and Batum fall in that latter category. You just never knew what you were going to get from them on an energy basis uh, on a night-to-night game. Um, I think that really played a lot into it. Maybe another coach tells them they have to do that, and that kind of kickstarts their game, but I don't think it's entirely fair to put that entire blame on Terry Stotts. I, I will say I applaud Terry for playing to DJJ's strengths. Mm-hmm. He is allowing him to take some threes, which really hasn't been in his his repertoire uh, so far in his career, he has a nice stroke. He was seven of 14, including the preseason uh, before tonight's performance from, from downtown, but he is also letting DJJ roam. He's keeping mm-hmm. him in there and you can see the team is starting to, to feed off of him and look for him to cut. Um, the Especially lob Dame, yeah. yeah. The lob Dame through to him was, was beautiful. It was the first lob I've seen since Marcus Camby caught one from Andre Miller 10 years ago. I mean, the team just doesn't throw lobs. So it's nice to have a lob threat. It's nice to have somebody that's willing to slash, willing to cut. Like, I think you see teams just fall in love with this pace and space and, oh, we're just going to stand around the arc and we're going to have a guy dribble and he's going to either take the shot or he's going to kick it out for a three. 
you need movement and you need guys to come to the open space on the floor. That's what made the Warriors in their heyday so just unbelievably difficult to guard because whether it's, you know, Clay with the ball and, and Steph's continuously moving, you've got Draymond who is always a triple threat. You just always have to keep the defense honest. And I think Derek Jones Jr. is a player that does that because he caught LeBron napping three or four times tonight. And that is huge because when we play the Lakers again down the line, LeBron is going to know, okay, I got to worry about this backdoor cut. Maybe he doesn't give as much help to Yusuf Nurkic as he's rolling down the middle of the, of the lane. So it just opens up the floor. And, um, you know, I think it's a give and take. I, I like that the stocks is giving the, the freedom to Derek, but I also like that Derek's saying, Hey, this is my game. I came into slash use me like that. And mm. I think we're only going to see better things come of it as everyone just gets more familiar with one another. I, th- I think that Stotts empowers DJJ more than the other two wings. Because when Mo Harkless was at his best, he was doing the same type of things that DJJ is doing. I, I mean, like, I remember reading articles about Derek Jones Jr. and his ability to move without the ball. And it's really, it's really showing how valuable that skill set is because the Blazers' offense has been a lot of standing around and watching whoever has the ball create the Blazers have had a problem with getting easy baskets for in the entire Terry Stotts era. So to get those easy buckets from a cutting Derek Jones jr. Is huge. Like where else are we getting those besides Derek Jones? And you know, a few breakaway layups and three pointers in transition. It's been a, it's been a bugaboo for the Blazers to, to get those easy shots because being a jump shooting team, it's hard to really get those easy buckets. So. And a jump shooting team off of no dribble penetration, off of no movement, just straight isolation. It's difficult. We've seen the Houston Rockets, even in their heyday, not be able to get it done. But you you mentioned uh, DJ getting easy opportunities. And I think that comes with the defense. And we saw him pick Harden and he he got that dunk. Uh, You look at Robert Covington, a player shooting one for 13 from downtown over the course of his three games. But despite that, I, I think, Covington and Jones Jr., two players, Portland, the, the, the primary acquisitions we had in the offseason, never look at their box score. Their, their box score will never put exact value as to what they're doing on court. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just the, the strips, the active hands. Um, the Derek, defense. Well, Derek played some incredible defense on LeBron James. Mm-hmm. LeBron had 29. Really it was incredibly fun to see. He had 29, but he made him work for it. He got in his head a little bit, and he, he was active. The clean strips, I mean, Robert Covington played about as good defense on Anthony Davis as you could ask for. And when you have elite-level offensive players like Damon CJ, you need to surround them with role players that do the other things that they don't do. Mm-hmm. And I think Neil Olshay finally understood that. I think Terry Stotts is starting to understand that as well. I mean, my one of my biggest gripes about opening night, Sage, was – we gave up Trevor Reese's contract and two first-round picks to pay Robert to play Robert Covington 21 minutes. Uh, Derek Jones only played 25. These are your starting five. Like I understand, we have a lot of depth, we have a lot of talent, but you got to go with the guys that are going to get you to the dance. You you can't pay all this capital and play Carmelo Anthony more minutes than, than your starting power forward. Like Covington provides value in areas that you need. It opens things up 
for Dame and CJ, just the amount of fast break opportunities we're getting. Defenses cannot get set when you strip the ball and you're going down court. Likely more times out than not, you have an advantage. And that's where you've got your shooter spotting up all around and you've got your finishers like DJJ uh, filling the lanes. It's really tough to defend and you put the defense on their heels and it all starts on the defensive end. So I really like what I've seen over these last two games with, with the rotations in terms of just the onus of we're going to play our best five players and they Mm. need to get the, the lion's share of the minutes because that's how you're going to get to your ultimate goal of being maybe one of the final four teams left in the regular season. And then once you're in the final four, the conference finals, anything can happen. I feel like Derek, you see it because he's on ball. But I think the brilliance of Robert Covington is that he can affect the defense off ball by being really intelligent, reading passing lanes, digging on flashing LeBron James's and trying to get strips like the the intelligence of Robert Covington is really fun to watch if you're if you see him off ball on some players check check out what he does in terms of making it difficult for the ball handler to get to his spots because I I think Robert is going to be a fan favorite eventually it's just he might need to shoot a little better for people oh he's already there I think he's already there I love him. I, I love the fact that he is one of those intangible players. He is our Buck Williams. Buck Williams was never going to shoot a three. Yes, I know he led the NBA in field goal percentage, but you were never going to run an offense through Buck Williams. So Robert's the 2020 version of Buck? Yeah, Buck Williams' job. Okay, you're, you're playing the Suns. You're playing the Jazz. We just need you to be able to isolate on defense and not give any help. Can you do that for 48 minutes? We'll win the game. Hmm. Make life make life miserable for their star. And that's what Buck did. So that's why I'm saying you can't look at box scores and and say, oh yeah, DJ had a great game or Roko had had an off night. They, they, and this is why it's really hard to use statistics. Um, I think that the statistics have a huge value in today's NBA, but you have to watch games as well mm, because it's, it's 10 players on the court. How did DJ switch? Is Roko switching? Is there communication between the entire team? And I've started to, I mean, it was beautiful defense tonight. Um, I know mm. we got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, we allowed the Lakers uh, 30 points in the opening quarter, but outside that they only had 77 and, and you'll take that a- a- any given night. And it looked, it looked like the preseason was starting to trickle over Sage. Uh, you give up 120 to the jazz and then Houston, score 68 in the first half and I it's it's tough that it came to the first six quarters of the season but it seemed like the Blazers had their come to Jesus moment and said we need to clamp up like what are we doing here we can't let these bad habits consistently stay around and haunt us over the course of the 72 game season well they came out with some pride on that at that end of the court they gave up uh, 17 third quarter points they really turned the game around gave themselves a chance to win and i think they they played three fantastic quarters especially they bookended the halves against the lakers 24 in the second quarter 22 in the fourth quarter they outscored the lakers 31 20 22 in the fourth i mean in la that that is something you hang your hat on you win the most important quarter against the champs in their gym you, you love to see that. You love to see that progress. 
And I just think it's, it's a confidence booster. It's a team that knows they're really good, probably took a couple shots to the, to the face. And, you know, we're licking their wounds after Utah in the first half to Houston, but said, okay, like if we come out, like this is the effort, this is the intensity it takes. This is what it takes from a skill perspective. We've got the guys, we got the tools in our toolbox. We can get this done. So uh, I want to bring up a few plays in the Rockets game. Um, This was when Harden was out in the third quarter and uh, we had both teams had their bench units in. I think the the two players that I real really remember was Ennis Cantor and DJJ. And uh, it it was when uh, Christian Wood was really killing us. You know why he stopped killing us? We switched and put DJJ on Christian Wood and then put Ennis on some random shooter. I don't think a previous year Terry Stotts would do that. And I think that that type of, okay, this is the one dude that's killing us. Let's put DJJ on him. Shows a level of trust. I don't think I've seen in Terry Stotts ever for someone to be that willing to, let's just put put our guy on him. I think Derek Jones is Terry's dude in terms of let's shut this dude down. Well, I also think Terry Stotts understands his job is on the line. I mean, I mean, regardless, this this team has to live up to expectations. You've got fans, experts, media members projecting the Blazers as high as two in the West, the Western Conference Finals team. Everyone's saying we won the offseason. I think it's fair to say we addressed the the areas of need. We have a good roster. What we saw against Utah, it is not acceptable. Mm. I don't even if we if we would have lost that Lakers game, that's fine. I, I saw enough from this team that you can project how they're going to continue to progress. It's even better they were able to you know crunch out a, a victory uh, against the the defending champs. So I think Terry is is starting to okay. Like I, I just can't rest on my laurels anymore. And mm. you know Neil went out and did what he had to do, and and you saw saw Terry start to change up a bit. And, and I, I hate the fact that it took so long to change the defense, but better late than never. And I do think it's a work in progress, but it's something that as long as they, they make an effort to continue to utilize new schemes and not just fall back on what they normally do, continue to work on it. When we're, when we're getting in, in June, July playoff time, we're going to be looking at a team that, that's looking more like a well-oiled machine rather than just a car that starts every now and then. Mm-hmm. So I've seen you post on Twitter quite a bit about the second uh, the second team rotation with Melo and Ennis. I think that Melo's defensive prowess really shows uh, Ennis's inefficiencies. There, There's times where it's like, I think Harry Giles is the preferred option if we're going to play Melo. But the way I saw Ennis play against the Lakers when he had DJJ or Robert Covington defensive inefficiencies was really good. I, I, I agree with what you've been saying online about Melo and Ennis can't, can't play together because the, the defense is just giving up points in bunches. Did you read my notes? Because this is one of my starting five questions, and I'll, I'll just – ask you know we'll talk the question I had was how much longer will it take for coach Stotts to realize that Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony 
can't play together. And so I'll, I'll go into it. And we we saw in preseason Sage, you you can't put two negative defenders in similar positions right next to each other. It's mm-hmm. going to get exposed. And I asked you, like, how did we even get to the conference finals with Ennis Cantor? Because it looked like he just took a major step back and you made a very astute observation that said we had good players around him. We had Zach Collins, we had Evan Turner, we had Mo Harkless, we had Alfred Kuminu, all plus defenders around Ennis Cantor. So more times than not, teams can get away with having maybe one net negative defender on the floor. And that's really what what Ennis was. And, And you saw tonight, yes, I know it's one game, it's a small sample size, but Ennis Cantor played 22 minutes. He was uh, only behind Gary Trent Jr. in the plus minus. He was a plus 13. He had 12 points, 14 rebounds, six of nine uh, shooting. And his defense was decent. He, yes, it was a good matchup. He, he tried against, hard. Uh, yeah, it was a good matchup against Montrezl Harrell and even Marc Gasol. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to burn him. He had other strong defenders around him. There was really not a, a, another negative defender in his vicinity. And in some instances, I think he's a better fit at times than Yusuf Nurkic. Don't get me wrong. I think Nurkic is hands down the better player. But when we were running some of that pick and roll action or even just getting the ball to Ennis around the basket, you knew that bucket was going to go in. Like with with Nurk, you have no fucking clue sometimes if he's going to hit it off the backboard, if he's going to make it. Um, His touch around the rim has always been lacking. And so that's one thing that Ennis is always going to bring to the table. He is going to shoot a high percentage around the rim. Um, That play where Hood just dimed him up off of the spin move was just absolutely gorgeous. Um, And I thought Ennis played a great game. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it came when Carmelo Anthony was not on the team. I just, I don't know if you can play those two ever together. Um, I don't think, I don't know what Terry Stotts is going to do. And I feel for him because I know he's put in the tough position because we've heard nothing from Neil Olshay except for we're protecting Carmelo's legacy. And I was thrilled we brought back Milo. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong there. Um, but I think after watching this game, it's obvious that Carmelo needs to be more of a catch and shoot player. We can't run ISO for him where he's just dominating the ball on the offensive end and, and defensively, Maybe move Melo out to the three and just like spread those two defenders away. Maybe it, it's you're, you're always keeping one of Covington or Jones on the yep. floor to help n- negate that. Because I mean, Carmelo's going to play. I know some fans are going to say, I absolutely want Melo out there. There's other fans that are going to say, I, I wish he wouldn't have signed with us. I, I think we're going to get more good Melo than we get bad Melo. It's going to take him some time to get used to this role. And he's probably going to feel like, Oh, I'm only getting 20 minutes. I need to get all of my shots up. I I think everything right now is a work in progress, but I think if Terry Stotts is honest with himself, he knows he cannot play Cantor at the five and Melo at the four that that's just, it it doesn't work on an average NBA team. We're we're just going to get absolutely cooked. I think a good way of doing it is put Melo on like the, the designated shooter that spaces the floor. Like, like if we're playing the Nets, Joe Harris isn't going to take Melo off the drib. Like, I think finding the right matchup for him to just be not be in such a bad way might be the best thing for him. And our offense and defense is have a Rocco, have a DJJ, have a Gary Trent as a buffer 
for those two deficiencies defensively might be the the way to go. And we have a lot of good players right now, and the rotations are going to be funky. But we just have to kind of find a way to make shit work. So you mentioned the rotations, and and I brought up this point on the last episode. I you. I think we have too many good players. You, you mentioned you wanted the depth for the COVID era, and I think both points are completely valid. But the hoopla in, in Rip City right now is Gary Trent Jr. only played six minutes against the Houston Rockets, did not play a, a minute in, in the second half. Well, without Carmelo Anthony, he was able to play six-man minutes, 24 minutes, uh, career-high seven threes, had 28 points, 10 of 14 from the field. I mean, just – saved our bacon, uh, kept us afloat, hit so many big shots and played tremendous defense. He's clearly a rotation player. He earned that in the bubble. Uh, but Terry Stotts after that Houston game said, I really wanted to crunch the rotation down to nine. I preferred Ant over, over GT in that, in that moment. Um, Sage, if, if he insists on a nine man rotation, who, who is your nine? Who are your nine? Excuse me. I mean, the starting five NS, I have to put Gary Trent. So that's seven. Hood gets his spot minutes. And then Mello probably. And then CJ Dame is going to be the lead ball handler off the bench. Or, you know, with that unit. Yeah, I think Anthony gets squeezed out unless you're playing on a back-to-back or a three and four uh, scenario. Or if um, Dame or CJ isn't passing it. What, like, you know, there's there's times when they don't make the best decisions and you need a ball handler. Hey, I get it. But you're absolutely right. I do think Terry will start to look at the data and look at the film and he'll see, okay, I need to keep Dame or CJ on the floor at one all at all at all times. One of the two. Same goes with DJ and Robert Covington. You need to have an offensive go-to guy and you need to have kind of a defensive uh, free safety back there that's going to kind of quarterback that that defense. And I don't know what was going on behind the scenes from, from everything that I've seen Gary Trent bust his ass and plays team basketball. Um, I don't know if it was him sending a message to GT, if it, if it, he wasn't, you know, maybe he was dogging in in practice. Like there are just things like, I don't, we don't have access to that information. Don't have access behind the scenes. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and, you know, talk to all of you and say, I have all of the answers Maybe there was something behind the scenes that, that I haven't seen, but from from what I what I do have, the the access that I do have, it's pretty preposterous that he only got six minutes. Um, I think tonight's performance really vindicated that he needs to be our sixth man. Um, do you have the stats on? Do you have the Houston stats on you right now? Yeah. What do you want to know? How many minutes did DJJ play? Thirty six. How many minutes did Harden play? And this did this game did go into overtime. James played 46. So there was 12 10 minutes of DJJ not on Harden. Seven. Seven. Bad at math. My bad. Um are you set telling me that Gary Trent wouldn't be the option number two to defend James Harden? Because in my eyes, he definitely would be the number two option. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right there with you. And and you kind of saw Jason Quick post game, really grilled Terry Stotts, and Terry kind of took offense to it. And I understand both. Both are, are doing their jobs. Jason Quick is really 
asking the questions that the fans want to know answers for. And Terry Stotts is saying, Hey, I'm the fucking head coach. I have been here since 2012. I can do really what I want. And he is absolutely right in, in that decision as well. Um, but from what I've seen from, from Gary Trent, he is a hard worker. He plays great defense. He's one of our best spot up shooters on the team. There is no reason you play him six minutes. He's better than Carmelo Anthony. Fuck a legacy. Love you, Melo. I, I, I love you. But we need to, we're here to win a ring, Sage. We're here to do the damn thing, especially for Dame. And I, I, I understand Terry maybe feeling politics are, are getting in the way a little bit, but you have to find playing time for, for, for Gary Trent Jr. It, it, it doesn't get any more obvious than that. So I, I think that we have two point of attack defenders on this team, DJJ and Gary Trent. I think Robert Covington's off ball. So we we saw, talked about how DJJ and Robert Covington shouldn't, you know, I think that there should be one of either DJJ or Gary Trent to guard ball every, every possession on the, on the court. Because if you're putting Damien or CJ in a, position where they have to guard ball it takes a lot more out of them than it would be to put gary trent in and have him hound whoever the lead ball handler is and we're also seeing just how much of an impact the defense has on the offense you get stops okay i can't remember how many fast break opportunities we've had over these past six quarters it's like mind-blowing like oh this is what other teams get to experience this is nice Mm -hmm. like we're getting three and two opportunities spotting up shooters um it's fantastic and what we've been able to do over these past six quarters is string together multiple stops even in the bubble when we were winning those close games it was because dame was putting up 60 and we were outscoring teams 130 to 128 which is completely unsustainable over the course of an entire nba season so I love the fact that we are getting our stops and I think DJ AJ and Gary Trent and Rocco, those are the, the three leaders on the perimeter that, that are really helping us lead, lead that charge. And hopefully Terry can, can see how just impactful their performances are. And it, it really does help that we're, we're not relying on Dame to get 40 to 50 every night or, you know, having to put up 130 like, we're, we're playing defense again, mm. like just seeing how we played against the Lakers that, that first quarter, I was like, Oh shit, here we go again. It was wide open KCP three after wide open three. We played some good D mm-hmm. they did not get many open looks. And I, I was proud of the rotations, the communication. And, you know, I, I think it, it comes down to making that a precedent. If you don't defend, you don't play. I mean, we've heard, you know, I'm an, I've been an Oregon Ducks fan, uh, especially at college football. When Chip Kelly was here and now it's now Mario Cristobal, if the wide receivers don't block, you don't play. And the wide receivers, what's their primary function? Get open, catch the ball, score touchdowns. But blocking for your teammates makes everyone's life easier. And if you don't do that, you don't play. It's the same thing in the NBA. You don't defend. It doesn't matter if you score 50. If you let your opponent get 52 on you, you're down two. Mm-hmm. So, I just like the precedent that it sets. And I, I hope we see that over the, the course of these next three games in California and on to this, this homestand in January. Set the rotation for bigs 
it's at, at the center position. It's 26 of Nurk and then 22 of Ennis. How do you feel about that on a, a on a given day? Define given day. What What do you mean? It seems like Ennis is his direct backup, not Harry Giles. I mean, you you really have to ask me if I'm watching Ennis playing with or without Carmelo because you know going in, if we were to record this episode yesterday. I would have said we need to start giving Harry Giles more minutes. Um, maybe this is the plan all along for Zach Collins to be the direct backup five. He's much more versatile. Um, but after seeing this version of Ennis Cantor, it brought back all of those memories from 2019. It's like, oh, this is the player he can be. But he is a player that you have to very strategically place people around him that can make up for his deficiencies on, on the defensive end. Like Ennis is elite at offensive rebounding. He is so good at, at scoring around the basket. Those are two things that the Harry Giles and Zach Collins aren't even Yusuf Nurkic is kind of iffy around the basket. Um, Nurkic is the best defender of the bunch. Zach might have the highest potential, but he can't stay healthy. Uh, and Harry, we just haven't seen him put it, put it all t- together. So um it's unfortunate that the answer is dependent upon who, who, who are they playing against? Who are mm. they playing alongside? I mean, there's so many um, factors for, there are so many factors, but I mean, you can see that Ennis Cantor is a serviceable backup big. Like this is the Ennis Cantor I envisioned when I was really harping on us to use that trade exception to, to, to acquire him because this is the Ennis Cantor that I remembered. And it, it works when you put another strong defender around him, I don't know what the Blazers are going to do. You can't just not play Carmelo Anthony. This is going to have to be something they they just figure out. I, I don't know the answer at this point. Um, I still stand by my thoughts that this team has too many good players. I mean, we're looking at like, Anthony has probably looked the best he has in a long time. He's only getting five minutes. He's looking stronger. He's playing smarter defense, taking better shots. You have Nasir Little who, yes, he can't stay healthy, but I loved what I saw from him. His energy, his athleticism, his potential. You look at Zach Collins, the same could be said about him. He's not healthy right now, but he's going to come back. Harry Giles looked fantastic in two preseason games. Can't get on the floor. Gary Trent couldn't get on the floor against Houston. So Portland has got to figure something out. I do think a consolidation trade should should happen um, because whether it was the right nine men or not, I think nine men in a rotation is probably – the way to go in a regular season game, you know, give or take one or two spot minutes. You, you want to have nine players on the floor. You want to make sure your best five are playing, but you also want to make sure you've got a couple of uh, reserves who are, you know, warm. They're in their rhythm. They, they know their role. Their role is defined for them. They understand what is expected of them, when they're going to play for how long. And that just makes everybody's life easier. If you're a role player stage and you say, okay, I'm probably going to play the, you know, an eight minute spurts you can go out there and make a couple of mistakes and still play your game. But if there's another capable backup, backup, backup behind you, you might play a little tight and that doesn't really do anybody any justice. So great win against the Lakers, but we're two and one. I still think there are a lot of questions out there about this, this current roster. I just thought of this. Do you think Harry Giles or Zach Collins in 22 minutes can get a double-double or put up the production that Ennis does, even though they are better defenders? Do you think that they can put up the points and the rebounds that Ennis does? 
I know they haven't had the opportunity, but at is, least is it, is it possible? Yes, but I don't think anybody has seen that from mm-hmm. from either player. I mean, we've seen flashes from Zach, but those were 2019 playoff flashes. Those I mean, that's we're getting on 18 months that that we've seen that. I mean, it just I don't think it it set in how long he's really been dinged up for. Blame the blame the pandemic for for some of it, but it's been a long time since we've really seen him play meaningful basketball. You know, Harry Giles couldn't crack the rotation for, for the Sacramento Kings. It doesn't mean that he hasn't shown what he can do. He looked fantastic in two preseason games. Um, but there's a reason we were able to sign him for the minimum. I like him as a, a double insurance policy, but again, it, it all goes down to who they want to play together. Like this is something I was talking about on last episode about reading a lot about the 77 Blazers. They were a unit. It wasn't just one or two players that won them their championship, they all complemented one, one another. Even the reserves complemented one another. This is a team, a team game. We, we have one superstar. We do not have another all-star on the roster. I mean, those are just facts. We're going to have to win as a team. We're going to have to win as, you know, five players playing as one on any given rotation. It, not just the starters, but throughout 48 minutes, 72 games, and however many playoff games. We all have to be in tune with each other, and you can't really have a weak link. Um, that's just the nature of, of playing with with one star. So it's it's this season is all on Terry Stotts. I know that's a lot of pressure, but we've seen what they're capable of. We loved the moves we did in the offseason. We have a star. We have a little bit of everything. He now has to take these ingredients – and bake something delicious. I mean, it's 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 not an enviable position to be in. I would not want to be in his shoes. But again, that's what what he gets paid for. He gets paid to lead this team to make those decisions. And as a Blazer fan, we have to hope that he is able to to really you know be the straw that that stirs that perfect cocktail. You know, I, I think that even with Mello playing the four in Terry's mind. Mello and Ennis give them the best chance to win. You've seen what Mello does. Ennis has had the benefit of the, the uh, playoffs, the Western Conference playoffs, so he knows what they can do. I think it's just about getting everybody in the right rotations where everything everything works. So, unfortunately, Harry and potentially Zach Collins might... Yo, Ennis is... Getting double doubles in 22 minutes a game—that's a lot of production for a very cheap price. And he—he's—he's he's working hard. He just doesn't have the—he has deficiencies on the defensive end, which makes things tough for lineup construction. We've all had zits, you know, especially during puberty, well, uh, growing can up. Can you can you see the zit on my chest right here? Yeah. And I probably got some shave bumps too. What do we do? We put some cover up on that, you know, makeup covered up so nobody can see it. That's what it's like when Ennis Cantor's out there and you put good defenders around him. You cover up all of his blemishes. And now he looks beautiful. You know, you put Rocco, you put DJJ, Gary Trent, Rodney Hood. Looks like a really good player. That's that's where I'm going with it. I, I hope we're able to see that because he's a damn good backup center. Uh, nobody can tell me otherwise. He has his deficiencies, but every backup has their deficiencies. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a backup. How can Portland manage this Carmelo Anthony situation? So we, we know he's accepted coming off the bench, 
but through two games, the, the ball is, is clearly sticking in his hands and he's shooting poorly. He's only seven of 21. Um, we, we mentioned Neil Olshay talking about protecting his legacy, and I think that is important for him as well. Um, I don't want to see another Houston situation with Carmelo. He played too well for us last year, especially in the bubble. He's coming back on a minimum contract. I, I love the veteran leadership that he provides. I want him on this team. But what what happens if we continue to see more of the same isolation ball stopping mellow? I think we have to deal with it, bro. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think Terry Stotts is going to take him out of the, the rotation. The team can help him be can help him utilize his strengths. I think there are at times where he can take advantage of his matchups, but it can't be the mellow show in that second unit. We have too many good players. I think he'll turn it around and, you know, once he starts hitting, it's going to be kind of beneficial to have a hall of fame player off the bench. It's just, we have to manage the rotations. So we don't get the sieve of the mellow NS front court or do something to make it less drastically bad. I th- I, th- I think it's just about careful rotations. And maybe Mello plays in spurts like Zion did yet, uh, last year, or uh, James Wiseman does now, just spurt Mello. I agree. I don't think there's any way in hell that Carmelo Anthony gets taken out of the, the rotation. But one thing Melo talked about during his media day about signing back with Portland was having conversations, honest conversations with Dame, CJ, Neil, and Terry. I think if we're continuing down this this path of what we've seen early on, I would hope that he would be open to communication, both from his teammates, but also from his coach saying that, hey, you're going to continue to play, but we can't have this ball stopping. We'll, We'll look to get you looks catch and shoot i mean he's he's money i, I love a mellow catch and shoot three i love when he takes he? one dribble and shoot he's 36 going on 37 i think a 36 year old man i don't i i'm not at that place yet but a 36 year old man could have an honest conversation with his coach and it wouldn't affect his ego as much as a 21 or 22 year old man he's experienced a lot of things in this in this league in this life you know I think honest communication and transparency is going to be the best thing for Melo to succeed in, on this team this year. And he mentioned transparency was a huge reason why he initially signed with Portland last season. And then he re-upped uh, in this past off season as well. So um, I hope it doesn't come to a head, but I, I do feel like we've got a good staff and we've, we've got a good, you know, cast of characters around to, to kind of reel in w- whatever situation potentially um can arise and we, Sage, we have solid leadership too it's not like we're oh shit the charlotte hornets with no defined leader yet everyone's young we have damian lillard and cj mccollum like that's a that's a good leadership that can talk to mellow like a a grown-up and be like we need you to do this and i think mellow would be accepting of you know helpful criticism or you know critiquing his game or what he has done i think that even even though he does have deficiencies on the defensive end i've seen him try and contest shots that i didn't see any other blazer last year do so i I think the effort's there i just think that he can't be put in a spot of you know extreme responsibility in that second unit defensively 
the last of the starting five questions it, on Christmas Eve, the athletic reported that James Harden has added the trailblazers and the Boston Celtics to a list of um, suitors that, that he would be fine with, with being dealt to as everyone knows he has, you know, requested a trade from his current team, the Houston Rockets. My question for you is until James Harden is dealt, will those trade rumors disrupt or inspire Portland's performance? I think it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, CJ McCollum has had a good game every every game we've played. He had a, he had a really nice spurt against the Jazz that uh, it was our most positive uh, rotation. I think at a plus eight, he dominated in Houston and he played pretty damn well today. If if the potential trade to for CJ for James inspires him, that's great. I, I, I honestly, if it was a stock, if these players were stocks, I'd be buying a lot of CJ McCollum right now because he's been playing so well. I think CJ McCollum is the type of player that when faced with adversity, he attacks it head on rather than try to shy away from it. And so the report came out on Christmas Eve. So we've had two games since Uh, you mentioned Houston uh, absolutely lights out 44 points, nine of 16 from three, including the game winner, eight assists, zero turnovers follows that up with a 20 point 11 assist performance. Again, only two turnovers. We're looking at a total of 19 assists to two turnovers. That is an incredible assist to turnover ratio and something we really haven't seen from CJ, uh, someone looking to to share the sugar uh, to take uh, a, a saying from Michael Holton. So, you know, based upon that sample size and what, what I've known of CJ, I think it's only going to inspire uh, Portland's performance, especially McCollum, because I think he even admitted that, yeah, I've heard the rumors. And if we were to bring him, he plays my position. Like I would be the one on, on the way out. Like he's happy here. He signed an extension here. He's friends with Dame. Like he has a home here. He lives here year round. He obviously doesn't want to get dealt. I think that's only going to really bring out the best in him. So that that's how I would answer that question. And let, let's be real. Dame, CJ, and James Harden, they're all ones. You know, they, well, they may. Well, I don't think we would even be able to make that work from a salary perspective with, without CJ. So I don't think oh, it's I, even... I, uh, What I'm trying to say is they're all point guards. The, the positions, Dame, Dame, I guess, is the one. But CJ, if we're being honest, is a point guard too. All right, Sage. Dribble pass shoot. Should the Portland Trailblazers trade for James Harden? And has your opinion on that matter changed after finding out he put Portland on his shortlist of teams? I believe it is the last time that a bonafide superstar has openly said they would welcome a trade to Portland since 1992, Charles Barkley. I thought Chris Paul welcomed one. Possibly. You know I would have liked that, but... Anytime that you can get a potential MVP player like Charles Barkley and Chris Paul, two of my favorite players of all time, you take a swing at it. And the benefit is he's under contract for multiple years, so it makes it even better because we have more chance to sway him on Damon uh, James Harden working well long term. So I know a lot of people are very loyal to, to CJ McCollum that listen to this podcast and are Blazers fans, but... 
if given the opportunity to get an MVP candidate, I would do it in a second. Yeah, it's so you asked me on the podcast last week, it, you know, we were just talking about, you know, James Harden and that report hadn't came out. And it, it's almost like that that person in school when you're in you know, junior high or, or high school and you find out, oh, they, they like me. You start to like, oh, they're looking really good today. Like if they like me, then wow, I, I really start to like them as well. So I think it definitely turns up that interest on my end. And you mentioned having a perennial MVP candidate. And we're, we're not talking about people in, in this instance. Like CJ is a much better person than, than James Harden. Uh, we're, we're talking basketball exclusively. And I think as much as it pains me, I think you do have to explore what that deal would look like. I don't think you have to sell the farm, but if that opportunity exists, I think you have to do some digging because if history tells us anything, it's that superstars win in this league. And, you know, as much as I love Jerome Kersey and Kevin Duckworth, those were two of the main cogs that were rumored to be going to Philadelphia and a Barkley trade. Duckworth really only played one more year after that Kersey three, and he was already, you know, losing his rotational minutes to Cliff Robinson. Uh, Barkley went on to win MVP in 93, lead the Phoenix Suns to the, the NBA's best record, and they they took the Chicago Bulls to six games in the 93 finals. There's no doubt in my mind we win a championship if we have Charles Barkley with Buck, with Cliff, with Clyde, and, and Terry. That, that just happens. And, again, I, I think – my opinion shifted knowing that, okay, we, we are a preferred destination, but as my opinion shifted, it could also shift back. If we get this CJ that we've seen these past two games, and I'm not talking about the way he's scoring, it's the way he's distributing mm-hmm. and he's looking for his teammates. This is the CJ McCollum I was expecting us to get last season. This is the CJ McCollum we saw in the postseason where he carried us against the Denver Nuggets and had a just a performance for the ages in game seven. I mean, to, to, to put it, to, to put it lightly. I mean, it was one of the greatest performances that I have seen from a Portland Trailblazer player. And I think he has elevated his performance. If we're talking 20 games from now, Harden is still on the market and we're still getting this production from CJ. I don't think you necessarily have to really look at that trade because what Sage, what separates Harden from, from McCollum? Both are minus defenders. Harden's clearly, uh, an elite offensive player, but just like when we talked during the bubble about Yusuf Nurkic versus Embiid and Jokic and, and Bam Adebayo, consistency and playing at that level on a night in and night out basis, you know this player is going to give you thirty a night. They're going to be the focal point of every defense. That's what Harden has done the moment he put on a Houston jersey. McCollum has done it in spurts. Okay, I know seventy-two games doesn't really allow you to have a large sample size for for one season. But we, we know there's a trade deadline, and if Portland is able to continue winning and we get the same production from CJ 10, 15, 20, 25 games down the road, I think you have to shut down any, any topic because at a certain point, you don't want to broke, you don't want to try to fix what, what's not broke. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're humming along and we do have great chemistry and you know the backcourt works well, I mean, they work well as humans, they work well as basketball players. Damon CJ know how to to function as 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 teammates as coworkers and it's something that I want to see work in the, in the long run so I guess the the long answer is yes my interest is peaked now that Harden 
put this on a short list, but I would gladly say no if I see this this CJ McCollum well into February, possible all-star CJ McCollum, because there are other ways we can improve the team rather than just getting a potential headache in James Harden. I'm not saying he is, but the, what he does outside of the, the NBA basketball court, there there is a, a, a decent probability that it, it could fluctuate in, into the locker room. I, I think that if we're just talking basketball, James Harden is just so special with his ability to break down that defense and pass and make the right read. And like, he's so crafty and good. Like there's just passes that he made against us where it even confused the cameraman, like where the ball was going. And I think that he would be a fantastic partner with Dame. I, I, you know, I don't know what the, the minimum minimum threshold is to get James Harden. We don't know these things, so we're speculating. I I would definitely take James Harden if he's available. I know CJ's had three amazingly good games. I mean, James is just special, bro. He's just really, really special. And I think it'd be interesting to see what CJ could do as the the solo dolo point guard on a on a team. But uh, you know. There's a lot of luck in this shit. What if Brooklyn just kills it with an offer? Or what if whatever team kills it with an offer for him? And we, it's just speculation. It's a lot of luck. So if, if Neil can strike a deal, that's great. If CJ can continue playing this well and be inspired by the trade rumors, that's great. Um, I, I would love to run it with C, uh, with Damon CJ, but again, We'll know more as the season goes on. Well, you mentioned a Brooklyn offer, and Spencer Dinwiddie unfortunately suffered, I think, a partially torn ACL. Such a bummer, uh, man. I remember watching him in Colorado, and he was so talented then. You know, there's no way they're trading Kyrie or KD, and he was a big part of that package. Uh, I think that inevitably has to take them out. Boston, there's no way they're trading Jalen Brown um, in a package for Harden. So I think it's going to come down to Portland, Philadelphia, maybe a, a third team or Houston just keeping him on that roster. Um, so I think we'll know as as it plays out. And Sage, before we go and preview these next three games, usually we do a commercial break, but I wanted to do a kind of like a, a spotlight on on local artists. And the first one that I wanted to, to call out was uh, Nathan McKee. So we will put his information um, in, in the description, but follow him on Twitter. It's at Dr. Underscore Dog Underscore MD. That's Dog D-A-W-G. But he makes this awesome artwork out of uh, construction paper. I've got a few pieces um, hanging up in my blazer room and throughout the house. Um, just a really great person that I've, I've known for, for quite some time, dating back to my days when I worked with with the blazers um, make some fantastic stuff. I've got like three blazer ornaments uh, hanging on the Christmas tree as we speak. Um, but, but give him a look. He's got quite a few awesome blazer prints out there. Um, tell them Holy backwards sent you. This isn't a promo. This isn't a discount. This is just uh, trying to pay it forward because uh, it's awesome that we have so many talented artists in the blazer community. Um, someone who, you know, 
it, it's hard for me not to buy everything I see. And so when I see something from, from Nate, uh, I always like to go pick it up. So check out his stuff. Uh, Sage will put everything in the description. And Sage, we got three games on the docket to preview. Uh, we've got the Clippers on Wednesday. And then we're actually playing back-to-back in the Bay Area against the Golden State Warriors, uh, playing them two times. So uh, an, an odd California road trip. But let's look at the Clippers first, who looked like world beaters against the Lakers and the Nuggets, but then just got absolutely obliterated. They were down 50 to the Dallas Mavericks at halftime yesterday, which is the largest deficit in NBA history. Um, I, I really don't know who's going to sit. If Paul George sits, if Kawhi sits, you really never know with those two, but let's assume they're at full strength. How do we uh, sweep Staples Center, Sage? I think the big man, Yusuf Nurkic, is going to have one of his special games. The big rotation is Serge Ibaka and Ivica Zubac and Zubac and Ibaka. I think that Nurkic could have a really good advantage. Um, I think that you put DJ on whoever's handling the ball and put Roko on uh, whoever else. Uh, so if it's Paul is initiating, you put DJ on him and you let uh, Robert Covington be that annoying off-ball pest on, on Kawhi. Or yeah, I think I think that it's Dame being brilliant, CJ continuing to be good, and then a surprisingly good game from Yusuf Nurkic, and I think we get the dub. Damn, uh, I was going to predict a win as well, and I thought I was going off on a limb, but I, I really like how we can match up against the Clippers. Um, we have wings, bro. We have wings. I really like the ability that we can throw Derek and Gary and Robert at, at their two at their two wings. I think the way Portland gets this done is by attacking the Clippers guards on the defensive end of the floor, putting them on their heels, whether that's Pat Bev or Lou Will or Luke Kennard, who has just got so overly paid, overly paid for just a a bum of a player um, to be, to be quite honest. And I think if we can attack them and and really slow the game down, make sure we're taking good shots. um, This is another game ripe for Ennis Cantor. He doesn't have to go out on the perimeter and really defend any of their bigs unless they go surge at the five and go small the rest of the way. But I really like what he could do against uh, Zubac. Um, So I think, I think the Blazers get it done. I think that's a a similar performance to what we saw tonight against the Los Angeles Lakers where Dame and CJ do the damn thing, but you get uh, maybe an unexpected performance from a guy like Ennis, uh, a guy like Gary, you were talking about um, this being a good Nurk night. I I would really love to see Rocco really get into the rhythm, um, hit, hit some from downtown, but I'm excited to see how we match up against the Clippers. You know, we, we took it to the champs, this, by all intents and purposes, is the second best team in the Western Conference. Uh, they were the favorites last year. Um, I would love to see this team's mentality. Um, that, that will tell me a lot about this season. Are they going to be cool with just getting a split at Staples Center? Or are they going to ride a little bit high after beating the Lakers and say, we want more? We, we're we're going to go out and we're going to beat the Clippers. We're going to send a message um, heading into the new year. But I, I do I do think they beat um, the Clippers. And then that sets up a showdown uh, against Dame and Steph, uh, the Golden State Warriors. It, it took a, a Damian Lee game-winning three to beat the Chicago Bulls. 
um, after getting absolutely embarrassed on opening night against the Brooklyn Nets and then another beat down by the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas Day. Uh, Marquise Chris has now been injured and he is out for an extended amount of time. I don't believe Draymond Green is back. Uh, it is really Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, and a bunch of players I have never heard of, Sage. So I think Eric against Pascal's the Warriors, good. not this year, um, not this year. Yeah, I put him in my lineup game one and I was really disappointed. It's, it's a team that you saw the makings of the foundation starting to crumble. And I, I think we all got a little bit too excited about the return of Clay Thompson and the Splash Brothers were going to be back and then Draymond was going to be prime Draymond. But even then, if that happened, you saw the, the depth start to get chipped away. JaVale McGee was gone. Sean Livingston retires. Andre Iguodala, you know, get, has to get moved for, for cap purposes. And they just don't have that, that core. Um, they had the star potential, and then obviously a huge blow with Clay getting hurt. And now Draymond can't really regain that form. And now you're just looking at Steph. Um, we, we play them twice. I think it's very difficult to beat a team twice in a row. Are you going to do, do what I'm about to do? Damn it. No. Um, let alone beating them in their own gym twice. Uh, I think for Portland, for me, I want to see how we defend Steph. Uh, if, if I'm Terry Stotts, I make everybody else beat us. Um, mm-hmm. I, I throw the kitchen sink at Steph like teams used to throw that fucking kitchen sink at Dame when we had Chief and Gerald Henderson and fucking Pat Connaughton out there. Um, you make those guys beat you. If they do, you tip your hat and you play them again the next night. But that's a recipe for success by not letting arguably the best point guard of all time just run wild on you. Because he has that ability, whether he's shown it or not this year, you still have to respect the gravity of Steph Curry. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I I used to not be the biggest fan of him just because I might have been jealous that he gets more props than Dame. But watching him this year and watching him, his IQ, especially defensively. Like he's digging, getting steals, moving the ball really well. Like I, I'm enjoying this version of Steph Curry. He has to work a lot harder to get, you know, get biz. But you know, I think we split it, man. I think Dame absolutely destroys it one game, goes for a super high score, and then maybe game two, the the Warriors make the adjustments needed, and it's a we split, but. You already mentioned it. It's it's tough to beat a team twice in a row in their arena. I, I think we split. I think Damien kills it, and then they make the adjustments, and it's a, a one-on-one. Which one do you think we win? Which one do you I think, think we, we win the first and lose the second? Because I, th- I think Dame's going to be hyped to go play in Oakland or San Francisco, whatever, um, the Bay Area, and then... I think, yeah, I think, I think we win the first, lose the second. I think the opposite. I think we lose the first, win the second. And the reason I think we lose the first is because we are playing on New Year's Day. Uh, I know there are COVID protocols in place, but you have to imagine they might have some sort of team get together on New Year's Eve. Um, everyone's ready to kind of kick this year and punt it away into the abyss. Um, I think there there might be 
a little bit of a letdown. It's always hard to play on a holiday as we saw on, on, on Christmas. Um, every game was a blowout. Um, you, you really have to um, come prepared mentally. It, it would be awesome to see us, you know, go four and in this road trip because we've got a lot of really nice home games coming up and we can start to separate ourselves from the West rest of the Western conference. But I think anything less than a split against golden state, um, would be a disaster. I mean, this is not a a good golden state team. Like I want to give Steph Curry his flowers and and his his due, but the rest of the roster is, is buns to, to to put it bluntly. Um, Uber and Wiggins have not been able to, to hit from, from deep at all. Um, They have nobody in the paint that should be able to quite frankly, fuck with us. Um, I think we just need to come prepared, come mentally locked in. We all saw what happened last year in Golden State against a team that didn't even have Steph. Um, they didn't. Even, they didn't even have Ubre or Wiggins. They basically played G Leaguers and rookies, and they ran us off the floor because we thought we could just show up. They'd roll the ball out there, and everybody would fall over for us. So I, I think we we lose the first, um, win the second. But again, it, we 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 can't get swept. You you have to win one of two. Um, I think if you come back from this road trip three and one, um, you're, you're feeling really good about where you're at. And then you can start to see that continuity come together. You can really start to see the progress being made. And then as each passing day, the confidence grows higher. You feel more comfortable with one another. You start to expect to win when you play these teams. And it, it could be a great sight to see, but again, you, you got to take care of the road and it's, we're going to see a lot of, it, it could be a, a scenario where we get blown out one game. Like we've seen a lot of wacky, wacky results. Um, the Utah jazz lost their home opener to the Minnesota Timberwolves. It took a game winner from Donovan Mitchell to beat the Oklahoma city thunder. Um, we mentioned the Clippers lost by 50 to, to Dallas. Um, your Pelicans absolutely handled the Toronto Raptors um on opening night um the 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 cleveland cavaliers are are three and oh um there's just the milwaukee the milwaukee bucks got killed by the knicks like i i just think we're gonna i mean the nets they they lost to the charlotte hornets um as good as they look their first two games so i just think you're gonna see some wacky shit this year it's just the nature of the beast it's the nature of worrying about the outside world. It's the nature of the scheduling. Like never have we played the same team in a baseball type of schedule. Um, it's a pseudo playoff atmosphere without the intensity of, of the postseason. So um, I would be incredibly impressed if we were able to get to, I think we're the more talented team, but um, history and logic says it's going to be really hard to get to. So I'll, I'll take, I'll take a two in one week, my friend. You know, I, I was thinking, James Wiseman's look good, but you know he's a rookie, and you know that he's very eager to, you know, try and get some uh, blocks. Imagine Ennis going against him for 22 minutes, and how many fouls James Wiseman is gonna get? It's it could be very the the game that we blow them out could be very dirty with our bigs just taking advantage of a very young rookie. Absolutely. And, and you, you look at the Warriors, they started out on a four game road trip. They still have to play Detroit um, tomorrow night in Motor City. Their, their first home games are against Portland. Um, it is on New Year's Day. The first game back off of a road trip is essentially a road game. Uh, we could catch Golden State sleeping a little bit. Um, 
I think the key for Portland is going to be offense. Um, they allowed, Golden State allowed 125 to Brooklyn, 138 to Milwaukee, and 128 to Chicago. Uh, we have the weapons to to make Golden State pay. I think it just comes down to Portland playing a def, uh, a disciplined uh, offense, making the right pass, not rushing the shots. And this Warriors defense, it's bad. It mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of the Blazers last year. They will give you looks. Just play disciplined stay to your game plan, make the extra pass, make Golden State play defense for extended periods of time. The cracks will start to show and the water, the floodgates will open and Portland just has to be ready for it. DJ J and Gary uh, Trent going to guard Steph or do you have any? I would, I, I would have, I would have um, Dame and, and DJ kind of, I would have Dame probably starting out on Steph but DJ like always lurking, like playing the passing lanes, almost as a free safety. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's more Robert's role. But yo, it hasn't hasn't uh, Kelly Oubre been pretty uh, atrocious from three? Both he and Wiggins have been awful. Yeah. So obviously, you've had league bass for the free period. What teams or what players have intrigued you the most? You know, I've kind of just watched a little bit of games here and there. Uh, I enjoy watching teams that aren't on national television a lot. So, you know, it was kind of fun to watch the Hawks for a little bit today. Um, I actually watched, you know, the Cavs and Pistons game that went down to overtime. And I was like talking to you, I was like, Andre Drummond's playing like it's a contract year. He's clamping up on, on defense. Like they're, they're young Point guards look good. Um, it's always fun to see um, new faces in different places. Uh, you know, Jeremy Grant in, in Detroit, uh, watching some uh, of the rookies a little bit, um, and then obviously watching the national televised games. Um, but OKC was pretty interesting to watch. I know we both picked them to finish last in the West, and I don't know if that happens. Um, they're just a team that, one, they have a lot of veteran talent. Um, you know, George Hill in Al Horford, they're not just going to let them lose. And everyone else on that team just plays with a massive chip on their shoulder. So they may fuck around and be in play in contention, maybe until the last month or two, just because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously just watching um, those close games down to the wire and, and seeing what happens. And it's just. Sleep pass so- is a wonderful thing, bro. Some of the the endings have been unreal. Like I, Denver has had three home games. The fact that they're one and two makes my heart smile so immensely. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been, you know, I, I've been at the families for a, for a long time, uh, so I haven't been able to nerd out as much as I I want to. I still study, you know, I still study DFS for three hours a day. So it's not like I didn't watch, but. You know, now that I'm back at home, it's 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 about to get some. It's about to get very nerdy for your boy, but uh, yeah, I mean, one player I really love watching is Brandon Ingram. I think that he has taken his game to the next level, and it is really fun to see uh, see him work. I mean, I'd be selling some Zion stock if I'm going to be real right now and buying some Brandon Ingram stock because. I don't know if you watched a lot of Pelicans. I have. I can count on my hands how many times I've seen Zion sprint. So it, it, it's it's rough out there sometimes. Yeah, the Pelicans look like another team that 
maybe I should have bumped up a little bit and moved the, the Warriors down. But again, it's it's we're, we're three games in. Uh, I remember the Timberwolves looking amazing three, four, five games into last season, and they completely fell off. Um, Are you going to finally take the plunge and buy League Pass? Or are you going to be a broke boy, even though you enjoy boy. it? Even though I'm a broke boy. Okay. I'm too emotionally invested in the Blazers. Like, after wins, I want to watch every game. But when we lose, I don't want to fucking see a basketball. Like, I'm just going to go watch <laughs> Big Mouth on Netflix or watch YouTube videos. Like, I'm the same way with Oregon Ducks football. Like, when my team wins, like, I cannot have enough of that content, of, of that sport. But when my, when I lose, I'm just kind of going to a sports funk. I'm like, I, I want anything other than, than sports. Especially when my team's have expectations when my teams are like tanking that's a different story because you know you're kind of expected to lose like like whatever but like last year was rough because we were supposed to be good nothing went our way i just it was hard to watch other teams um you know really have success when i was like that that should have been us i I think for me just because of dfs and like yo dog basketball is like really one of my only hobbies in life so i obsess about it and then you know, from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., it's kind of all basketball all the time. So I, I watch it as much as I can. And, uh, yeah, I've, I'm very excited about watching it. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say, or should we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, but before we sign out, I, I want to really look at the importance of these next three games. If Portland can go 2-1, and one, there is now 14 remaining games in January of those 14 games. Only four of them are away from the Rose garden. You really have a lot of opportunities to rack up home wins. And of those 14 games in, in a row, we're looking at Chicago, Minnesota, you go at Sacramento, Toronto at Sacramento, Indiana, Atlanta, San Antonio, Memphis back-to-back, New York, OKC, and then on the road against Houston, with who knows who they have at that time, and then Chicago. There is not a game in that 14-game run where Portland will not be favored. If they can get off to a good start, I think you're going to start to see a little bit of a domino effect with this team where they might start to show some separation. So I think we had a really rough six game stretch to start the season. We had a really rough opener. You kind of got a a tremendous performance tonight in Los Angeles. Finish the job. You got three more tough games on the road, go two and one, and then let's have a hell of a month. Let's, let's kick 2021 off on the right foot. I mean, let's, let's really be that team that everybody thinks we are. Absolutely. Um, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. And uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, rate and review the podcast. Um, if, if you're enjoying the content, please uh, leave a nice review on iTunes. It really does help with the algorithm and so we can... Uh, spread more knowledge on in the blazers community uh thank you so much for listening and we're out wherever you may be this is bill shinley good night everybody let's go